So this morning I'd like to uh, reflect on contemplative reading. (coughs) Reading is a basic life skill. Think literacy, the ability to read adequately is uh, not only a prerequisite of living in technological society like ours. It's a great embarrassment to people, you know, if they are unable to read and they they hide it. Um, even some very wealthy businessmen, apparently, who can't read or write, you know, always get other people to sign their checks and so on. <laughs> so, um, so it's something that uh, we associate with shame or or a problem in learning skills if you can't read. But apart from all of that, apart from the functionality of reading, I think uh, I'd like to to ask you to think about the uh, reading as a, a life skill that really touches our spiritual life very closely as well. If you don't have the ability to read, then it seems magical. And pre-literate societies uh, think of words and letters and language, written language, as forms of magic. If you do, as you learn to read, it expands your mind outwards, ultimately to include Uh, areas of thought or experience, of connections, of ideas, of course, uh, which you didn't have before. So it it can open your mind towards universal compassion, towards an all-inclusive tolerance and good judgment. For the rule of uh, St. Benedict, it's one of the pillars of the good life prayer, work, and reading, Lexio. When he spoke about Lexio, he probably didn't think of um, reading War and Peace or uh, Shakespeare, uh, but primarily, of course, it was Scripture, Lexio Divina, spiritual reading, which is a, a particular art and form of reading. But, of course, Subsequently, after the 6th century, monasteries became places of wide reading and learning and culture and scholarship and many other forms of reading uh, were encouraged and, and preserved. Reading will always accompany meals, St. Benedict said. So. Um, the avid reader, the enthusiastic reader, you know, will not go on a trip without taking a book with them. So find yourself waiting at an airport, uh, you, take, you take out the book. So Benedict thinks of the meals as a good opportunity to, to listen to reading. Uh, also, uh, you absorb it, I mean, just as you're absorbing the food, you and the community of which you are a part are absorbing 
these, uh, the, what is being read, the conferences of Cassian, were read at meals. So the word collazione in Italian is also the word for conference, because the conference for a thousand years, Benedictine monks ate their meals listening to the conferences of Cassian. Probably most of them were not paying attention to the conferences and paying more attention to the food, especially in Italy where the food is so good. But nevertheless, uh, there is a sense of, of using the opportunities uh, to absorb through reading. Um, like, medita like meditating together, reading together is a very important element of building community and balancing the healthy relationship between your solitude and your communal aspects of yourself, of your life. Benedict also said, of course, says that you know, the people who read, uh, either in the chapel or in the refectory, should be good readers. Not just any old mumbler should stand up and read. I mean, the way readings are read in church is appalling most of the time. Um, and uh, so he, he makes it very strong point that they should be clear, intelligible, and they should read with sense. Yeah. Lent, uh, he says, is a special time of the of the of the year uh, where you sort of do some spring cleaning and freshening up and a little bit more uh, discipline. And he says this should be accompanied by prayer with tears. Tears was always seen as a good element of prayer, so people who, quite a, quite a number of people often find that they do weep during prayer, and they don't quite understand why, because they're not feeling sad, or it's not accompanied by sadness as such, but uh, it was regarded as a gift, the gift of tears in the early church. So. Um, Prayer with tears. So I suppose allowing yourself, giving yourself the time uh, to allow, for some people anyway, uh, to shed tears. And uh, compunction of heart is the other element of Lent. Uh, allowing the heart to be open. So making sure that your heart hasn't become coarsened or hardened. Uh, just without your even knowing it, you can become insensitive. So taking the time also to to resensitize yourself, to soften your heart, and then reading. So these are the three elements of Lent, special practices in Lent: uh, prayer with tears, compunction of heart, and reading. More, a little bit more reading. And every member of the community should receive a book from the library during Lent and should read it. So he's, he's and you know, a lot of uh, the monks would, would, wouldn't be interested in reading. They want to get out immediately after prayer and get out to the fields or into the workshops or, you know, do their manual work or uh, potter around. Uh, and even today, you know, in monasteries, 
there's constantly being reminded, depending on the size of the monastery, uh, to make sure you take time for lectio. Um, so, but the attitude towards reading at the, at, in, in, in this period of our culture was very different from, <coughs> from today. Even the physical form of reading was different, different, the manuscript rather than the book. It's about, from about the middle of the 12th century, I think, the book as we know it, with an introduction and chapters and subdivisions and an index, all of these things that we think of as a book began to take form. But how different it was when you had a manuscript where there were no breaks even between the words. So of course, the only way you could read intelligibly would be to read aloud because that broke up the text into words and sentences. And um, so for a long time, until maybe about the 12th century, I think speaking, uh, reading aloud was the normal way of reading, but you read quietly, sort of moving your lips. As if you see someone moving their lips today and they're reading, you think they don't read very well. But for them, uh, at that time, it was a natural way to read. And Benedict says, you should read so as not to disturb other people. In other words, don't, don't read too loudly, when you're, even if you're reading on your own. So a different form of reading, of course, from ours, from our understanding of the text, and a different relationship to it physically, even. Uh, the word, when we speak about lines of text on a page, uh, the word line, linea, uh, refers also, it's the same word as was used, it was a metaphor really, for the line of a vineyard, you know, where the grapes are planted in lines. So the idea was, as you went by, through each line of the text, it was like walking along uh, a line of, of grapes, and each word was like a grape that you took off the line. So, uh, a, a different, slower, more physical, um, more attentive type of reading. Still a challenge, because Benedict knew the monks didn't want to read, many of them didn't want to read, but they should read. And uh, different from us uh, today. The technical aspect um, today, or the use of technology today, uh, has changed the way we read in an audiovisual culture. Uh, you're more likely to watch an episode of Game of Thrones before you go to sleep at night than to read for half an hour, although some of you might know read for an hour before you go to sleep. So, uh, and there's something wonderful when you, when you come across a child who loves reading um, and you, rather than just playing video games. Um, and the child somehow who is reading seems, although absorbed in the reading, you feel is kind of 
easier to reach than the child who is totally absorbed in a video game. It's become isolated. Both are solitary. One is more solitary, maybe, reading, and the other is more lonely or isolated, which is a video game. But anyway, maybe we shouldn't be too absolute about it. But the actual act of art of reading is an art, of course, too, that you have to learn is weak today. Although everyone was predicting that physical books were, were going to be uh, out of date, you know, very soon, and everyone was going to be reading on e-books, e- e- well, it's not happening. The sale of e-books is going down. People's, people like to have a book, a physical book in their hand. I think most people don't read the books they buy, but um, it's good for publishers that they buy them anyway. Uh, and it's good that they should be there, because one day you may read it. Like the woman who, I asked her how she started to meditate, and she said she was in an elevator uh, on her own, and the uh, elevator broke down. And she was a calm woman, she didn't panic, so she, she, they phoned her and said, don't worry, we'll, be, we'll take us you know, maybe three hours to get you out, but it's all safe. So she was relaxed, so she sat down on the ground and decided she would tidy up her handbag, which she hadn't done. And uh, so she was tidying up her handbag and she found a, a, a copy of one, of one of our little books on meditation. I think it was Meditation, Your Daily Practice, I think. So she said, oh, I've been meaning to read that for a long time. <laughs> so she read it without interruption and had her first meditation uh, <laughs> between heaven and earth like that. So, uh, we need to develop uh, and train the mind uh, in the discipline of reading. Every discipline keeps, helps, sorry, every discipline helps the practitioner to be a disciple. Discipline, discipleship. In reading, we turn our attention completely away from ourselves. Every discipline allows one to turn one's attention completely to the master, the teacher. And the other is always the teacher. Or the master is the other. Reading is wholehearted listening, selflessness that actually awakens our self-knowledge. Now there's the question of what do you read and do you enjoy reading? But I think this is more fundamental to that. Ivan Illich uh, was inspired by the 12th century writer and monk, Hugh of St. Victor, who wrote a a treatise on reading and scholarship. He spoke about reading in, in a book called The Vineyard of the Text. He speaks about, Hugh speaks about reading as a remedy or a medicine 
you might think of the, uh, the way the early fathers of the church spoke of Jesus as the divine physician, the word made flesh, bringing healing to all the varieties of human sickness. So to understand reading itself as a remedy, as a medicine for the soul, very Christian understanding too, and a very, very biblical understanding, because the word is central to the biblical understanding of God and human humanity, the relationship between them. God spoke and it came to be. And the word of God the, becomes flesh. And St. Bernard says, the flesh becomes word as well as we, as we read the scriptures. The ultimate remedy uh, for Hugh of St. Victor is God as wisdom. That's the great medicine, the great herb. This needs humility. I mean, reading needs humility to take the attention off yourself, to listen to what the author is saying. It needs a quiet environment. It needs good health. Actually, it's very difficult to read. You know, you've got a cold, or you've got a temperature, or you've got stomach ache, or toothache. You can't read very easily anyway. Hugh speaks about the page as a source of light. So when you're reading, the light comes out of the page. And this light then catches fire in the reader. And in the light of this fire within the reader, self-knowledge is born. He, he comes to know himself. So we could, speak, we could think about reading as a way in which the true self emerges. One of the ways in which we allow ourselves to be ourselves and know ourselves. In the electronic age today, the experience of re reading has changed. Most people will say, you don't have, we don't have time to read anymore. Uh, I once, years ago, I once was speaking to Pierre Trudeau, the great former Prime Minister of Canada. And he said, uh, he advised, a very intelligent man, very well read and uh, thoughtful man. Um, and he said he advised young politicians who would come to him to speak about their career. And, you know, and he said, do your reading before you go into politics. <laughs> because afterwards you won't have time. So make sure you read before. So, the experience of reading today has changed with our fast pace of life, with our sense that time is in short supply. One of the main elements of modernity, of modern life, is, that, is time, our attitude towards time, our sense of being in a hurry, of running out of time. 
But the need for reading hasn't changed. As I said, even the physical book is coming back. So reading, like music, is a, an art, a, medic a medicinal art, uh, for the whole person. And it's therefore very physical. When you listen to music, you really, your body is listening to the music. And when you're reading, your body is reading. There is an inner and an outer discipline to reading, as there is in meditation. Many people you know, will say, I, you know, I, was, I was reading this book, I was very distracted, and I'd read, I'd read three pages, and I realized I hadn't been reading, hadn't been paying attention. So I had to go back. So we've all had that experience. You think you're reading, but you're not. You think you're meditating, but you're not. You're daydreaming. So uh, there's the inner discipline of sustaining your attention, and there is the outer discipline of actually making time for it. That's the balance. In the 10th conference of Cassian, uh, Cassian and Germanus are talking with Abba Isaac, asking him about prayer, and they want some practical advice. And Germanus says, now look, we're, we're really basic about this. We want to know how we, can we keep our mind still and focused at the time of prayer. Because here we are out in the desert with nothing to do uh, and but we're, when we sit down to meditate to pray in silence our mind is just buzzing around thinking about sand <laughs> or water or what I you know my next trip to Alexandria in six months' time uh, to sell my mats. So, uh, so how can I, what can we do? And he said, we want something very basic. He says, when a child uh, learns to read, this is in the fifth century, when a child learns to read, he has to learn to pronounce the simplest syllables. You know, the, t, <laughs> The. Uh, and unless he can't, he can't do that unless he has learned the, the letters of the alphabet. Remember learning letters of the alphabet? Uh, and then later, as the art develops, we need, if we need to read quickly, uh, we need to connect the short sentences, short sentences make sense of them, one after the other. Then we may develop grammar and rhetoric, and then we get into the, the fuller work of the art of reading and writing. And so he says this to Abba Isaac. He said, That's what we, this is what we need, something basic like this. And Abba Isaac says, that's right, exactly. That's a very good way of putting it. And it's the same with prayer. 
and here is the way for you to do it. Basic, say the mantra. And that's this point where he gives the mantra to, to us, to John Main, and to the tradition. And he says, this is like, this is the ABC of prayer. This is the basic, you know, saying one word. And saying it though with complete attention. And returning to it as the mind gets distracted. Always a beginner, remember. Childlike. So, it doesn't, you know, we, we remain at this childlike level of practice that we begin and continue with over a lifetime. But we remain a beginner, we remain a child. And then learning that, and we are always disciples, always practicing the discipline, <laughs> the simple basic lesson of attention and the union of mind and heart, and dealing, as we have been doing this week, with the constant drift <coughs> of thought and imagination from what we should be paying attention to. So reading is an essential part, really, of our holistic development and our spiritual life. And there is a natural progression from reading to the mantra, from lexio to contemplatio or oratio. These are not in opposition to each other. Unfortunately, in our monastic tradition and in the tradition and in the later uh, development of thinking about prayer in the, in the church, in the Western church, uh, we got stuck. We got stuck at reading, and if you get stuck at reading for its own sake, and you don't, and you lose touch with meditation, in our sense of the word, of contemplative, non-conceptual, non-verbal meditation, then uh, the reading itself begins to become anemic. It begins to become dry and mechanical. So it's the relation just as Yes, we need rhythm, we need variety, we need a balance, we need to sit, we need to walk, we need to go and eat, we need to sleep. That's about it, really. We don't need much more. We, we will, tomorrow we will all get caught up in all our other needs. And some of them are, of course, good needs that we have, to, responsibilities we have. But don't forget the basic needs and how good it is to reduce your needs to what you really need. I remember when I first went to spend a, a month on Bear Island, it was about 20, more than 20 years ago, and um, I just had this longing for something very, very basic, so I managed to rent a house five pounds a week and uh, had electricity and a cold water tap 
and nothing else. No, no plumbing, no toilet. And uh, so that was very attractive to me until the day I arrived. <laughs> and then I thought, what, what an idiot, what have I done? <laughs> you know, no toilet either. Well, within two days I was completely happy. About the same time it takes on a school retreat to get used to it. <laughs> Here we have toilets. Uh, so, uh, and then I, I really I got used to it. I, I loved it. And then I didn't realize how simple my physical life was then. Until I went, um, had to go, you know, went, went out off the island into the supermarket. And then it was like over, just, it was like this overindulgence and saturated with totally unnecessary nonsense, triviality, you know, and advertising, working up people's minds and imagination over toothpaste or, you know, special offers and choices to make, stupid things. So, um, so it's very important. One of the reasons for a school retreat at Mass tonight will to have a little time to, to share what this time has meant for you. But um, one of the important things, I think, certainly at the time of, time of retreat like this, is to, is to realize, to remember, um, the priority of our needs and to sort out the most basic from the most unnecessary. And uh, if we're really lucky, we may be able to keep that in our mind for 20 minutes after we finish. <laughs> but I think, I think uh, conceptually we would forget it very quickly. But experientially, uh, we have tasted something of simplicity, and that taste does not uh, get forgotten. We don't forget it. So in the same way, I think um, we can think of uh, our, our, our prayer life, our spiritual life, and so on, as being uh, composed of different elements, each of them having a need, responding to our physical dimension, to our mental, psychological dimension, and also, of course, to our heart, to that place of integration. But um, the good life that we have had a little taste of here, I hope, is a natural movement between these dimensions, integration of them, but recognizing that when we're eating, well, we're, most, we're, we're paying attention to the physical dimension and so on. Um, and this natural movement between the different needs, the basic needs of our existence and the basic gifts that we have in our consciousness, this natural movement creates the conditions for continuous prayer. That's the goal, is to be in continuous prayer, to pray at all times. We don't do that just by an act of the will or by some technique. We do it 
as we allow our being itself to enter into harmony with the great rhythms of nature and our own interior rhythms. And then we can move from one level of being, one activity, to another without stress, without the feeling of being in a rush or under pressure. That's almost impossible, that's a contemplative view of life, but that's almost impossible for modern people to remember unless we have some little taste of it, a reminder of it, as we have in this contemplative retreat.